Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. Let me introduce my co-host, the Joshua Chamberlain and George Lafayette Beal to my Hiram Barry, Curtis Wister and Austin Miner. How are you guys doing today? All right. I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. Austin, you doing okay? I'm great. Yeah, thank you. Historical figures. So yeah, I like we're, the we're recording here. near the 4th of July, right? We're yeah. celebrating independence and history and, you know, our, our great country's birthdays. So thought we'd throw a little, uh, little history in here today. And again, it's kind of speaking of history. Uh, one thing that we've been talking with our clients with, uh, over time is sometimes, uh, as we have some history, we accumulate some of that history <laughs> as we, as we age, right? And of course, retirement is a significant milestone in one's life. And it's, of course, a time to embrace newfound freedom and embark on new ventures. But as I said about history, with this exciting phase comes the challenge of managing possessions that we've accumulated over a lifetime, right? Mm. And maybe we're going to be moving to a smaller living space, right? We don't need that house that we raise kids in or that we had all the friends over all the time. But we need to kind of find balance amidst the sea of these sentimental items. So on this podcast, we wanted to explore practical strategies, expert advice, inspiring stories that we can empower retirees, their families, and anyone interested in creating organized, peaceful living spaces. So what we're going to discuss unique needs and considerations of retirees when it comes to decluttering and downsizing, helping them transition seamlessly into this new chapter of their lives. So if you're a retiree looking to declutter and create a peaceful sanctuary, a family member seeking guidance to support your loved ones in their downsizing journey, or simply someone curious about the art of organizing spaces for, uh, for retirees, our show today is here to inspire and guide, guide you every step of the way. So that's exactly what our show today is about, is organizing your space to unlock your life. That's right, Ben. And and as you mentioned, um, I will speak for the three of us here. I don't think any of us are experts in decluttering. So I think we're no. going to bring in an expert like we like to do on all our shows. Um, so our next guest is a certified professional organizer, of which there are fewer than 400 worldwide. Uh, through her adroit advice, insightful instruction, she has transformed both the living spaces and personal lives of her thousands of followers, clients, and students on five different continents. Mm. Talk about reach here. Five continents. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Um, her current mission is to bring order to cluttered desks and overwhelmed minds with her signature course, The Paper Cleanse. In it, she teaches people how to declutter their paper piles and curate their frustrating files for a long-lasting paper organization. All, I will add, without scanning a single thing. Mm. So our guest has been featured in the Washington Post, New England Living, House Beautiful, Northern Virginia Magazine, and various news outlets. Uh, our guest currently lives in Arlington, Virginia, with her husband of over 30 years, and considers herself to be indoorsy, which I... I think I'm probably more on the indoorsy than outdoorsy yep. spectrum myself. Um, so as an Anglophile who adores alliteration, 
She delights in hosting friends uh, for divine desserts, decadent drinks, and deep discussions, all of which sound fantastic. Um, so with that, please join me in welcoming C. Lee Colley to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. C. Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show today. Curtis, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to your people about this. <laughs> And we have lots to get get into, Seeley. So we want to obviously pick your brain around organizing and kind of the challenges we all have. And again, there's a lot of emotional charge that happens right around our things and our spaces. And and I, I know when we talk about retirement and talk to our clients and people that are looking at retirement, you know, a lot of these things are kind of holding us back sometimes, right? So it's it's a challenge here. So we want to get into that today. Seely, but we want to, of course, hear a little bit about you first, right? So we want to get to know you for, for a few moments. So love to hear a little bit about your upbringing and how you're led to become a certified professional organizer. What was that journey like? So it's funny you should ask. So my mother was 47 when she had me. That was in 1963. It was very unusual. Wow. Yeah. So I grew up with the make, do, and mend mentality. And she taught me early on that it's important to be organized so that you're not rebuying things, right? You're saving time and money. So that was ingrained in me at an early, early age. Uh, I went on, I actually have a fairly varied background. I got a BFA and I was a costume designer in New York City for the Joffrey School, the Juilliard, the Joffrey Ballet in the Juilliard School. I also was a wardrobe mistress on Driving Miss Daisy. I did personal assistant work. I had a career in high-end retail and not to be a snob, but I was really successful in all of those ventures. We lived in England, my husband and I, for most of the 90s. And in 2000, we moved back because my mother was much older. I wanted to make sure that she had a great relationship with our daughter. And I was at the point where I got to choose what I wanted to be when I grew up. And looking back at all of my various careers, I realized the one thing that they had in common was that, you know, I could get things done on time and on budget because I was organized. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if I could teach other people. And this was in the early 2000s when if you went to a party and said you were an organizer, they'd say for what labor organization, especially here in the D.C. region, right? <laughs> makes and, sense. Uh, no, pantries and closets. But, of course, over the last 20 years, people recognized it's kind of like, you know, people are like, well, who's your personal trainer? Who's your organizer, right? People realize that these are not innate abilities. If we want to succeed in getting fit or getting our houses fit, it's worth hiring a professional. So yeah, I've been doing this since 2003. Uh, so I'm in my 20th year of organizing. And I did get my certification in 2007, something I'm very, very proud of. Awesome. Wow. That's a, that is quite a, uh, journey to become where you are now and everything. So kind of diving into to your business. So, uh, tell us a little bit more about like, how do you help people? Um, and is it different for clients in person versus virtually? Um, and what kind of people do you typically help? Absolutely. So for, so long, I was just an in-home organizer, right? I went to the people I could drive to or occasionally fly to. I actually had a client fly me up to Maine to get them all moved into their um, home on the water. It was amazing. But I was just doing, you know, the classic things, closets, 
kitchens, pantries, paper, helping people one-on-one. And I have to tell you, it was super satisfying. I loved every minute of it. You walk in and there's a before picture, you leave and it's a tangible result, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's something you can see with your eyes, feel with, you know, the extra space. Um, everybody was like, oh, I can breathe deeper. I'm like, yeah, because we cleared all that dust up. So, but now I've actually transitioned my business and I'm working with people, as you mentioned, worldwide. And in a way, it's even more satisfying. And I'll tell you, it's because with my coaching, with our community, these people are making the changes themselves, right? I'm not running in there with a team of 10 and a bunch of stuff from Container Store. They're actually really doing it themselves with our support. And it's so powerful because they're getting real change and real long lasting solutions. So um, the people I work with, I would say they're we're the boomers, right? They're about to retire. They've retired really classically 57 to 75. And I'll be 60 this year. So I'm right there with them. I understand what they're going through. As I said, I grew up with much older parents. So I think I have a bit of uh, an older mentality, if you will. So those are the people I love to help. That's incredible. I love that. So you teed up my next question perfectly. Um, so obviously, so we're here based in the state of Maine. We have a show about retirement here in Maine. So I love to ask all of our guests, do you have any connections to the state of Maine, which I know you just shared at least one with us that you've been up here with a client. So I'd just love to ask any kind of connections to Maine beyond that. Way more than that, Curtis. Right. Thanks for asking. So my father-in-law actually grew up in Skowhegan, his family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I first met him, he had such a deep Maine accent. Occasionally, I would have to ask my husband for translation. <laughs> um, and now I'm happy to say that my mother-in-law lives in Wiscasset. Okay. So we have a family home there. And I do hope that my future retirement plan includes um, summering in Maine, as they say. Okay. Wow. I think that's one of the more, uh, for a non-Maine resident guest, I think that's probably the most connections we've had to the state of Maine when we asked that question. So that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> and you got both sides of it. You got the highlands and you got the coast. Yeah. So exactly. That, exactly. That's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> well, Celie, so I'd like to, obviously, we want to talk about our topic today of organizing your space to unlock your life, right? So getting into some of the nitty gritty here, but we always want to start with basics and fundamentals and foundational, right? Is So obviously, I think the first question is why? Why are we here? And then what are the reasons that you hear from clients about why things haven't been tidier? Right. So, I mean, we're here, especially from the paper perspective, we weren't taught these skills, right? Our parents had three pieces of mail. It was a postcard from their grandmother, the, you know, the good housekeeping magazine and electric bill. Now we are inundated. Each person on average gets 300 pieces of junk mail a year. One hundred million trees are cut down just to provide the world with junk mail. It's, it's a huge problem. Do you remember, Ben, when they said we would be a paper free society? You may not be old enough, but oh, yeah. I think we all agree that didn't happen, right? So I think that that's the biggest thing. We weren't taught this by our parents. We weren't taught it in school. So no wonder we're we're floundering, right? And then we also have so much more, so many more possessions. I don't know about you, but I grew up, every bedroom in our home had a three-foot closet, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a walk-in closet. We all have 
so much more stuff and we get stuff from the generation before it. Not only are we purchasing our own things, we're inheriting and getting handed down things. So I think we're kind of in this perfect storm, really. And I also think that to answer your question about why things aren't tidier, the people I'm working with, they have big careers. They've raised families. They are taking care of elderly parents themselves and their children, right? Even though their children might be grown and flown, we're so much more involved with our children's lives than my parents were with mine. So they're busy, busy people. And it's just so it's not easy to maintain the excess. And so I think that, you know, from a prioritization standpoint, those other things come first. So it's often not until they can see retirement that they realize they might actually have some time to to devote to making a change. So that's why I think a lot of these problems are happening. This might be, maybe it's a too specific a scenario, but I would just gather that obviously we walk, we live in our space, we walk in our space, we, we know whether that's tidy or not, right? We know if it's organized. And I would assume that to say we know it's not tidy, we're probably a little embarrassed about that, right? We're probably like, geez, I, I don't know about like, if I walked in, I might be embarrassed about this. And, and I would gather that maybe especially as an entering retirement and I want to have more of a social life uh, and I have more time to have a social life that I might, if I knew my space was untidy and maybe embarrassing, I probably would avoid behavior such as having friends and family over to my house. And that also might be harming my social relationships. Do you find that scenario with the people that you help? Oh my gosh, Ben, we actually have a, an acronym for this and organizers have acronyms for everything and we call it chaos and it stands for can't have anybody over syndrome, right? You okay. have so much stuff that, and it is, it really affects, like you might be in a book club, but it's your turn to host and you're thinking, oh, I just can't do it. I can't invite people over. Or, you know, people just gather it all up and hide it in the bathtub behind the shower curtain. But that's not a solution, right? And so I think it's so important to acknowledge this and to know that you're not alone, right? This this is not an unusual situation. Also to know that you can fix it. You can do it. It's so interesting. I have to tell you that I have, uh, people have told me, you've saved my marriage, right? And part of it is because we want, we, you know, nobody wants to be a bad spouse. And so knowing your why, if, if it's to have your book club over, if it's, uh, I had a client and her spouse was just, I just want to eat on the kitchen table. And she just couldn't figure out how to get the t- kitchen table cleared. And so when we identified that her why, that her reason was she was a good and loving spouse, and that was not a lot to ask, it made her realize it wasn't just about clearing up the kitchen, right? It was about being the best wife she could be. You know, uh, uh, another scenario, I've had a client where uh, the husband retired. So all of a sudden, he's home all the time. He didn't really notice it before when he was working full time. He came home, dinner was on the table. It was all good. But now he's in the home and he wants, you know, he wanted to create a space to do his hobbies. He wanted to do, I think, uh, those airplanes that you glue together. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for it was a family thing. It made sense for everybody to come together so that he could have a space in the home 
so that she could still feel that she was doing her part. And so knowing your why has a, is a big, a big reason. And I know it sounds crazy, like, oh, you know, eating off the kitchen table saved my marriage. But I have been on speed dial for more than one marital therapist. So there's definitely something to that. Yeah, no, that's, I think personally, that makes so much sense. As someone who just finished a weekend um, with their girlfriend spending, I think about 10 hours of strictly cleaning, I can attest that it definitely improved both of our moods. So I mean, it's, it can be a big deal. But so say I'm in a situation, you know, like that Ben just outlined before where I'm in uh, chaos, Mm -hmm. and I got paper clutter piles all over the place. And now I'm retired and ready to tackle this project. So you had said, you know, finding your why is very important. Are there any other uh, tips that you might give for getting started on tackling these projects? Oh, Austin, absolutely. So I think one of the things is knowing you can do it. So often people are like, I just can't get organized. I'm a disorganized person. I'm a mess. I'm like, no, you get to define yourself, right? Especially now, you might have been, maybe because of circumstance and situation, but you get to define yourself. And I know that I've seen literally hundreds of other people say that exact same thing and turn it around. So knowing you can do it, number one. I think the other thing is I find that so many of my students are high achievers. These are people with masters and doctorates and patents and they're perfectionists. And one of the things I say is you don't, this does not have to be an A plus effort. You can, this can be a B plus effort, right? Good and done is better than perfect and none. And that is, you know, progress over perfection. And I admit I'm a recovering perfectionist and I really am trying to live this as well. But knowing that it doesn't have to be perfect, that you don't have to have all of the answers, I think is one of the biggest ways that people can overcome that and get started. And then the other thing I always say to people is trust yourself and your decisions, right? You are an accomplished person. You have raised children to do amazing things. And yet you are worried about throwing away the manual to your dishwasher, like, no, that's insane, right? <laughs> Trust yourself. You are a great decision maker. You have accomplished so much. What's the worst that could happen? And when I, when people kind of like put it in perspective and they're like, you're right. Like, you know, I've spoken on world stages and yet I'm paralyzed by my paper. That's insanity. And so, so yes. <laughs> so that's one thing to keep in mind when you're trying to get started. I love that. And I really connect with the, uh, your kind of battling progress versus perfection there. And I think that can apply to a lot of things in life, but it certainly applies here. Um, I want to ask a question kind of honestly for myself here. Um, and I hope there's <laughs> listeners out there. So I know I typically kind of throughout the work day and, and throughout the year, I seem to be doing my best work when my workspace is clean, right? My desk is clean here, whether it's here in the office or at home in my home office. How do you advise people to organize their desk to optimize getting things done? Ah, I love this question. And I do think that we really need to focus on one thing at a time. I think we all realize now that multitasking (laughs) doesn't work. So if you can clear your desk off 
And, you know, one of the first things we do in my course is I have my students clean their desk, like literally the entire surface, get out a wet wipe. You can't imagine some of those surfaces haven't seen the light of day in decades. Mm. And so, and people get worried. I'm like, it's okay. Trust me. Just trust the process and gather up all of the papers, put them in a box. And they're like, oh, I have more papers than one box. I'm like, okay, papers from the right side, label it right side of the desk, papers from the left side, label it left side of the desk, right? Yeah. So clear the whole thing and then be really thoughtful about what you put back down on your desk, right? One of the first things I'm going to tell you is good lighting, especially for those of us who are a bit older where our eyesight is bad. This will make so much difference. I'll often find people are in the dining room, right? Spread out on the dining room. And do you want to know why? It's because there's often like a big picture window that lets in a lot of light or a big chandelier that they can turn up that lets in a lot of light. They're craving light. So make sure you have a great light. Bring the other things you need, your electronics, your charging cables. If you live with somebody, I you don't need a photograph of them on your desk, okay? You know, one grandchild, the, you know, one plant. Let's be realistic. You don't need every pen in the house on your desk. So really be thoughtful about what you put back and then try to work on one project at a time. Oh, the other thing is get yourself a good chair. Mm. Oh my goodness. During the pandemic, I know we had to make do and mend, right? We had to just pull the dining room chair up and, but that's not supportive, especially for our old bones. So if you're going to be productive at, you know, get the ergonomics right, Mm. make sure your, you know, your uh, keyboard is at a good height. All of these things matter. And so really looking critically at your desk space and trying to just work on one project at a time, one folder. I'm working on getting new car insurance and then put it away. You don't have to have it all spread out. I promise you, you won't forget about it. (laughs) It's all going to be there waiting for you to take care of. So yeah, those are a couple of my suggestions. Oh, and I also have, and this is something your readers might be interested in. I have this great um, freebie, 12 types of papers to toss today. And so this is a great way to get rid of that excess. Just, you know, there's, I call them the dirty dozen, right? These, these are the papers that often are clogging up our system. And unless you can get rid of the excess, you're never going to have time to deal with the important tasks. So that's something I'm sure you'll be able to put that in the show notes for your um, listeners to grab a copy of. Absolutely. Kathleen says, Celia, I got to, you, you attacked me a bit there. I'm, I'm, uh, I got one pen, I got two pens, I got three, I got another dozen and another like arm's length. You're probably right. I probably don't need about 15 pens um, on my desk at any one given point. So I noted for later, I will okay. certainly uh, kind of minimize my pen storage here. Well, remember, your grandfather had one fountain pen on his desk, right? He knew where it was at all times. That's what he used to write with. Sometimes the old ways can be better. Yeah, I, I gotcha. Well, uh, see, so I know you just mentioned the dirty dozen right there in terms of, and again, we can kind of put in the show notes, but I want to also ask about your course, right? So you have yeah. a signature course titled The Paper Cleanse. So I'm anticipating, and I know, obviously, I think the easy answer that you're asking folks to make their paper documents just electronic. And I'm probably like others in dreading being in front of a scanner with the, uh, 
like sound for days on end, right? So truth or myth, how is the signature course, the paper cleanse? How are you kind of getting rid of uh, kind of paper here? So, uh, you know, I am not a believer in digitization. If it already exists digitally, great. If you know where to find it, you don't need to print it out. But if I scan it, it disappears into the ether, right? I'm a paper person. I love to touch and feel and smell paper. I need to highlight. And there's, you know, they actually say that if you're doing handwritten notes, you're absorbing the information better. I believe that. I like, I still like to read a real book, right? When I travel, I'll read off my iPad. But if I'm trying to absorb information, I want a sticky note. I want to, so I'm a paper person. So I'm not going to tell anybody that they need to scan or digitize something because I don't do that. I would never teach what I don't do. I am a digital dinosaur. I understand the irony of a digital dinosaur teaching an online course, but that's why I try to make it super simple. So when we're talking about a paper cleanse, we're not talking about digitization. I just, it's not realistic and it's time consuming. Can you imagine if I'm saying, you know, purchase my course and now you need to go buy a $400 scanner? No, that doesn't make sense. And I'm sorry, taking pictures on your phone isn't going to fix it either. So Mm. I really believe that it's important to have a system to process the actual paper, right? And getting rid of the excess is a large part of that process. And then, you know, putting the rest of the components into place makes a huge difference as well. Yeah. So you claim as part of this paper cleanse that you have a new approach for paper management. So what could possibly be new? I feel like we have uh, <laughs> only a few choices there. We either file it, act on it, or toss the paper. Can you tell us a little more about that? So yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, Austin. Nothing new. I think it's a different perspective. So you mentioned FAT, File Act Toss. That is actually an acronym from Barbara Hemphill, who's the founder of the Paper Tiger Management System. And it's true. You are absolutely right. We are going to have to file or act or toss every single thing. But I think it's the idea about a different approach. So not that I'm saying I'm Marie Kondo, but I think that Marie Kondo's success is simply defined as what she said was, think about what you want to keep, does it spark joy, versus what you want to get rid of, right? Mm -hmm. Same ideas, but she turned our perspective. So unless it wasn't, yes, I want to keep it, then it goes away. And I loved that. I love that idea. So my method is really just changing your perspective. So I approach paper organization. I call it the karma of paper management. It stands for K-A-R-M-A, and it's based on knowing what the paper is will tell you exactly where it goes and how to deal with it. And it's just turning the, the chart a little bit. So very briefly, K stands for the crud. I know I spelled it incorrectly. I had to do it for my acronym. But the crud, as we've talked about, is what clogs up the system. So you really need to deal with that first. That actually only leads four types of paper, right? And that's A is action items, active projects. R is reference. M is memorabilia. And the final A is archive. And every single piece of paper that you're keeping will fall into one of these four categories. The categories change. But when you know if it's action, that's something you need to take an action on. That should be on your desk. If it's reference, 
People often call that filing, but those are the reference papers that you're filing away that you will be referring to. Memorabilia, I think you know what this is. This is the stuff that speaks to your heart, right? The playbills, the ticket stubs, and then the archive is the just in case, right? To cover ourselves in case of a problem. It's generally financial, medical, property. You guys, you guys understand that as financial people, right? So I would think you, in the finance world, we can, there's probably not a whole lot of memorabilia, but those are the actions that we need to take. Yeah. The references, perhaps our past performances in different categories. And then the archive would probably be the tax and financial records, right? So I think you could apply these to what you guys are doing in your office as well. Although my system is really based a residential system. If you have a home-based business or something like that, all of that, all of these apply as well. So Celie, I could see where, so somebody's trying to apply this on their own, right? So that here's a karma system and they, they go through and I could see where they go, nothing's crud, right? And then mm-hmm. they go through the letters like everything's archived, right? <laughs> just in case, right? <laughs> we, we just want to have everything is just in case. I might need that one paper one day that I paid the electric bill in, you know, August of 2004. I right. might need to prove to the court that I paid my electric bill if they ever came back to me. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you kind of, I think from a psychological and emotional perspective, how do you break through and go, is that really an archive versus, hey, there's there's maybe a, a little bit of hoarding or something going on around that? How do, yeah. you, how do you kind of break that out a little bit? Yeah. So I feel like, again, we need to be realistic. And often people at this age and stage of their lives are have inherited other people's papers problems, right? I know I've cleared out my mother, my sister, my father. I still have my mother-in-law. She has, you know, two homes. It's overwhelming. So if you've cleared out somebody else's papers, then that alone should be your reason not to ever do that to anybody else. It's true. First and foremost, if that hasn't happened to you yet, if you haven't had the, the joy and honor of clearing other people's papers out, then you may not realize and you might say, oh, I'm just going to archive it all, right? It's all just in case, but it's not realistic, right? You, your home is only so big. And when we get to the point where we need to downsize, then we need to look at it critically. So I'm encouraging people in my course, first of all, first and foremost, to deal with the action and active projects. That's the stuff of life, right? eventually we're going to get to the backlog and chances are the backlog has timed out. And that's where I circle back to trust your decisions and think about what's the worst that could happen. What is the very worst that could happen? I think we've seen people whose homes have been ravaged by fire and flood and tornadoes, though they don't have their backup papers, right? So the worst has happened to them. What's the worst that's going to happen to you? And and when you think about that, then it makes you really realize that you've, you know, it's, it's, it's just paper. And if paper is standing between you and the life you want to be living, then I'm here to say, change your perspective. So when you start to think of it in kind of big picture terms like that, you'll realize, oh my gosh, that electric bill from 2004, right? And so one of the things I often encourage people to do is to have like uh, meta decisions, right? You have decided that you're not keeping your financial, your bills paid from 2018 forward, right? We're in 2003. So 
So you've made that decision. Trust that decision. Write it on a giant post note, put it on the wall. And then if you see something dated 2015, you can let go of it. (laughs) So I know there's a temptation just to make it all archived, but you're not doing yourself or anyone coming behind you a favor. So I'm, you know, and I think that we, people who come to me are ready to make the decisions. They're really ready. So I guess that's part of it. I like that. I want to rotate a little bit um, or I guess kind of move on from maybe just paper to kind of everything here. And you teed up a little bit with inheritance here. So I know kind of one place that I I know the people, the three of us talk to every day, um, certainly uh, something they struggle with over time is when they inherit items from loved ones. Right. And Obviously, these items represent uh, very complicated feelings, um, sometimes of love and grief and, and more, but we, you know, already probably already have a home full of our own things at this point, right? And so may or may not have a place. So how do you help organize people after they receive their loved ones things? So one of the first things is not to receive them, right? Yeah. If you can, if you can prevent yourself. So one of the things I tell um, my students is if someone says no twice, then you need to believe them. So if you if they're downsizing and they're saying to their daughter, "Do you want my mink?" and she's like, "No, mom, I don't." She she's going to want it. I know she's going to want it, right? 2 years later, "Sweetheart, I'm ready to give you my mink." "No, mom, you've heard it twice. It's yeah. the answer's not changing." And so trust other people when they say no and think about yourself when it's time to inherit this stuff. Think about what it means. So uh, I have so many stories, but you know, for instance, I had a client who, uh, the matriarch died. The dad was moving to the home in Maine permanently and left five children. And he was a diplomat here in DC, beautiful home, literally five full sets of China for 24 people because he entertained at home and Mm. the children wanted none of it. They were all in their 40s and 50s. We, they don't entertain like that. They don't have staff to hand wash the Baccarat crystal. And we were literally giving Baccarat crystal to the cleaning lady, the chimney cleaner guy, chimney guy came to clear out the chimney. I'm like, do you want, you know, they didn't want it. And luckily he wasn't insulted, right? He was still alive. If both of your parents are dead and you've got the family China, Think about, do they want you burdened? Are you going to use it? Well, if you're, if you've got it, use it. Don't hand wash it. So what if the gold chips off? Enjoy it. Break it up and make it a mosaic and make a table out of it. Like repurpose it or just take a photograph of it and tell the story, right? About how, you know, your parents were married in 1945 and it was the end of the war. And their sisters and brothers banded together to get them a set of China for four or whatever the story is. That's what's powerful, right? It's not the China. And just as an aside for anybody who's listening, if your mother collected it, China, crystal, linens, figurines, anything from a feminine perspective, it is probably worth very, very little. Because the market is inundated right now. It's not just our parents, but, you know, baby boomers, they are getting rid of the stuff. I've been married 30 years. Luckily, I chose a China pattern I eat off of every day. But a lot of my contemporaries are trying to get rid of that stuff. It's very little value. If it's something your grandfather or father collected, advertisements, pipes, 
watches, those tend to have more value in the resale market. So that's just a little advice. Um, of course, your your uh, mileage may vary, but when you're looking at things, you think it has so much value and there's just so much of it. My own example, when I was in, uh, for my 18th birthday, my best friend gave me a green vinyl Jimmy Jimmy 45 and I never played it. It was like collector's item, right? Fast forward 30 years later, I go on eBay. Oh yeah, 99 cents. There were over a dozen of them on eBay for 99 cents. She paid $18 for it as a gift for me in 1981. And so like use, use things. The value is so very little. You have to, to find a buyer to post it on eBay. I wish I had played that green vinyl Jimmy Jimmy 45. So uh, anyway, so, so many see, look, I want to ask the same question, just a little, let's add a little more emotional weight to it. Mm. Right. Uh, obviously we have a very young country relative to the world, right? It's right. You know, you go to Europe and you're talking about thousands of years of history versus just a few hundred here. But I, I've just heard and personally have this situation of, you know, we have, say, my great, great grandfather, right, had this possession and it was handed down. You know, here's here's possessions, maybe, or it was just handed down one after the other after the other. And then it's to the point of to what you just described of. Hey, here's um, here's the current generation holding it, and they're going to give it to the next generation, but the next generation doesn't want it. How do you ca- counsel that? Right? Is well, I- I'm going to break the you know eight generations of giving this family thing down, uh, but I don't want it. But I don't want to break the family tradition that that's been going on for a hundred or two hundred years. No, Ben, that's a fantastic question. And it's a hard one, too, because you think, well, maybe the generation after that, these fictitious grandchildren that don't exist yet, maybe they're really going to want it. But we can't, We, you know, one of the things I say is honor the past, plan for the future, live in the present, right? So, yeah, we want to honor these things, but is honoring them holding on to the physical object? Would it honor it more to, so I have a great example. I had a client who inherited this huge, gothic, dark, carved, Germanic sideboard that her great-grandparents shipped from the old country, right? And it, she had a clean, minimalistic home. They, it was, it was an important family piece. And so we honored it. We, she t- had the, uh, the formal portrait of them and we hired a photographer to come in with a lighting. And she told the story, videographer, and she saved that one photograph of the grandparents' portrait with the piece. And then she sold it for $10,000 because it really was a valuable piece. But she had the photograph to honor it. So she honored the past, but she was living in her present. It didn't fit into her present, right? And planning for the future. She took that money and she donated a big chunk of it to one of the foundations that they supported. And that really was just a beautiful way of honoring their memory. Yes, they did, you know, that possession was important to them. But if, if it doesn't serve your present and it becomes a burden, your ancestors did not want you to be burdened. They really, when your great grandfather had that steamer trunk 
He used it to travel the world. And those are the stories that need to be told. The steamer trunk doesn't need to be saved. Yeah, maybe if you can repurpose it as a coffee table or something. But if you're downsizing and, you know, you're living on a cruise ship for the next two years, that's probably not going to happen. And I don't want anybody to spend a dollar putting something from a parent or grandparent into storage. That is just like burning money. Don't do it. Or find their alma mater. You, you know, uh, I grew up in upstate New York. And when my father passed away, he was born in 1922. He was in the Navy in World War II. He had some amazing pictures of being on the Hawaiian Islands with his Navy buddies. He had some amazing pictures because his parents grew up in Endicott, New York, of his parents and grandparents. I didn't know any of the people. If it wasn't a picture of my father or my grandfather, I didn't know any of the people. He was active in the Legion and the Elks. I took boxes of these old pe- old pictures into those places. And I was like, maybe you know the people here. And they had a ball looking through them. Those old guys loved it. And and they were like, what do you want us to do with it? I'm like, it's okay. Enjoy them. Throw them away. It, they, they aren't going to help me. So finding, you know, if they were at a nursing school, maybe the nursing school's interested. The local historical society might be interested. But if they say they're not, it's okay. It, I'm, I'm giving you permission right now. If you're hearing this and this is resonating with you, I'm giving you permission to let go of it. Because if you can honor it in some way, make sure this you, you've got the story of it. Now we can take videos of it. You know, we can really, you know, in a couple of years, we'll be able to create a hologram of it. We won't have to keep that stuff anymore because it'll it'll be able to exist that way. But it's the story behind the item that's so important, not the item itself. So, Celia, I'm, I'm going to ask a question, which I think you kind of already have positioned it in terms mm-hmm. of uh, kind of how to do it. But I, I think it's there's a slightly angle, slight angle. I think there's a situation that people might get something out of. So again, thinking about paper items, especially historical documents, right? Mm-hmm. Or something meaningful, right? It could be family meaningful or maybe region or town so that we we have it, but maybe we don't value it, but we know someone somewhere right. might find it valuable, right? So there, I could see where there creates a hesitation that we don't want to throw it out or destroy it, right? We don't just put it through the shredder and, you know, and then just move on because maybe, again, I don't want to hold it, but I'm sure somebody somewhere might need this or, mm-hmm. or want to account for it. So how do you, uh, I guess... How do you uh, kind of handle this without just waiting for the right opportunity to find that one person that might find this interesting to give that that paper item to? How do you advise people in that situation? So again, it's this fictitious person, right? Or these fictitious people who might in the future gain something from it that, you know, if if you feel responsible for people that you don't even know, I'm going to encourage you to let go of that responsibility. You know, so much of it depends. In Maine, a lot of families go back generations, right? And so that's when using some type of online source, artifacts, ancestry, it might be worth it to scan that stuff in so that there is some documentation somewhere, somehow. That might be where digitization is the, is the key, right? So that it, it doesn't disappear, it still exists. But you got you have to make sure that the people in the future know how to find it. 
So here's a great example. My daughter um, majored in classics and Near Eastern languages and cultures. Back in the 60s and 70s, some man went to Syria and took thousands of actual photographs. And his family found Dumbarton Oaks here in D.C. to donate the photographs to. Now, they've all been digitized. Her job was to identify and categorize what they are, right? But it took a nonprofit foundation that can afford to hire an intern, right? It's a whole lot of work. So a blessing because a lot of those things in Syria don't exist anymore for future scholars. But that is a pretty unique situation. So I want you to really take a critical look at these things that you've been handed down, that you're holding on to. I had a wonderful, wonderful woman, a client, and she had not dealt with these types of historical documents from her parents. And she thought she would and time got by. And then all of a sudden she needed to downsize. And she had her own very impressive career here in D.C. And then it was the, the whole thing was magnified and doubled. And she felt some guilt that she had never done this for her parents. But I pointed out to her that her career and her things were much more important and much more illustrious. And it didn't take much, a couple of phone calls, and she was able to donate them to her alma mater because they recognized the importance that her things would have. And that we literally packaged them up, insured the box, and waved them goodbye. And the relief, it was like losing 50 pounds, right? She she let it go into the future for somebody else, but it didn't take a whole lot of time. So if you don't have that kind of illustrious heritage, and if it takes more than maybe a week or two of phone calls, I'm going to give you permission to let it go. I know it's hard to hear, right? You're like, yeah, that's for somebody else, but not for me. But I actually think it's great. I like the permission. So thank you. I'm going to go home and get rid of some stuff. But Amen, uh, Austin. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> so, uh, so let's say I do go home and throw out some stuff and I start getting organized and the process is going great and I know others that might benefit from the process. But it would feel like suggesting to others are a bit messy or might be insulting if I tell them they should go get some help with this. Um, how would you suggest that someone gift the process of getting organized? Right. I guess is what I'm trying Austin, to say. Austin, that's such a great question. Okay, so you never say to somebody, wow, this place is a mess. Let me get you some help, right? No one wants to hear that. I think we have to lead by example, right? So you've done it and you, you say to somebody, I just spent 10 hours cleaning and it was worth every hour I spent doing that. I've gained... 10 times knowing it's not nagging me. Now we can go, you know, away for the weekend knowing that that's taken care of. So leading by example is the very best way to do it. I have so many students who, you know, uh, one of my students said, my sister walked into my office and she looked around and she was like, wow. And my students said, yeah. And that's, and that, that's all it took. She realized, she saw, she could feel the energy, right? The, the, mm. the excitement of not having all of that excess. She could see, you know, my student was spending a lot more time volunteering. Where'd that time come from? Yeah, it was because that stuff was taken care of. She gained enough time to start volunteering. So I think, you know, you can say, wow, this really changed my life. 
you know, I felt so free once I let go of grandma's china. I, I'm just so glad I took that weekend to take care of, you know, those excess papers because now every weekend for the rest of summer is freed up, you know, use your, your own self as an example. And people are like, people are listening. People are paying attention. They want what you have. They want to be able to, Oh, this is a great example. So I had a student who took the paper cleanse. She had so much paper and it was like piled up like in piles. And I don't know if you, she got everything as paper statements and they had little holes as if they're supposed to be put in binders. Right. Mm. And so she was like, I'm going to put them in binders. I'm like, why? No, that's insane. She was so overwhelmed by the paper. She really had no idea about her net worth and she couldn't go to one of you guys. She couldn't go to a financial advisor because she had no idea. So we just worked through it slowly and we, and she was a single woman. So her retirement, like, she wasn't going to be making any more money, right? She had her Chia craft for her investments. We broke it down. I said, all you really want to know is how much you have and how it's changing month to month. So we took an 8 by 12 piece of paper. This was not a digital solution. We listed the months, January through December, the eight different categories, her IRA, her uh, 401k, her Chia craft that she had her stocks. And every month when the statement came in, she opened the mail, she saw the number and she wrote it down. Hmm. So she could see a trend. If she started seeing a trend, then she would look a little bit deeper. Oh, maybe I should shift some of this from one place to another, right? Once she finally was able to deal with all the paper, I'm like, that stuff is in the past. And especially now, things have been so volatile with investments. It's really, what is it today? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's in the past. Let's shred all that stuff and let's just move forward. Once she had captured this information, she was able to take it to a financial advisor who said, you've got, pl- you don't need to worry if we're, you can retire now. She thought it was two or three years off. Yeah. I mean, what kind of tangible result is that? Right. Mm-hmm. And not only, and he's like, it doesn't have to be, you know, you can retire and travel. You can retire and have fun. She wanted to take a niece to Europe. He's like, book the ticket. You can do it. I mean, that's a tangible result. That's what, you know, so I say to people, I'm not excited about paper organization. Okay, let's face it. That is not sexy, right? I'm excited about what getting your papers and your stuff organized can make for you. Time to travel, to volunteer. I've had students start nonprofits, businesses, read a book, right? It doesn't have to be huge. It can be like, go to the beach, read a book, have better relationships with their parents, their spouses, their kids. That's what gets me excited. So anyway. (laughs) No, I love that. And thank you for sharing those examples. Um, So unfortunately, we've reached kind of the end of our uh, conversation, Celie. I do have one final question for you before I take both my hands and wipe everything off my desk and start <laughs> reorganizing in here. So obviously the name of our show, it's the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. So I have to ask you a retirement success question. So we want to ask, how are you going to find your personal retirement success? 
Oh, well, you know, Curtis, I'm living it. I am living I it. That. So I am pretty much retired from going into people's homes. Mm-hmm. I'm taking on this because I can teach this digital course from now to the day I die. Yeah. I can still share all of my knowledge, right? My 20 years of knowledge. I can share it with people and help them get the results that they're looking for. And I can do it. We went to Europe for three weeks this spring. That's awesome. Yeah. Things were just fine. My students were fine. I did do one Q&A from Berlin at 1 a.m., but only because I thought, well, I promised I would and I did and it was fun. But I'm living my retirement. I'm hoping, you know, to spend some more time in Maine and and just, you know, yeah, I, I love to, as you say, I love decadent drinks and deep discussions. And I have the time and ability to do all of those things and to help people. So I'm, I'm living the dream already. I love it. Celia, that's a, that's a fantastic answer. And I'll, I'll add is uh, just listening to you during our show today, the passion you have for, for the people that you help and your clients, because it's again, that, that organizing is the gateway to finding happiness. And I think that's, what's been kind of the, for the three of us and our team at guidance point, that's been the fun part too, is, the organizing of their financial lives, right? Is that having purpose to putting things into its place, what fits, what doesn't fit, putting it all to work in conjunction, which I know is a, is a spatial thing too for you. So I think we totally get what you're, what yeah. you're getting and where you get your joy and how you're kind of uh, providing happiness to your clients. So, Cause it's something where, you know, you, you, we see it on an individual basis too. So we applaud that. Thank you so much for coming on our show today um, and, and sharing your expertise. I think we learned a lot. Uh, and also from um, kind of, again, you're, you're one of 400 out there in this world. Uh, so we appreciate you coming on our show and, and sharing a, a lot of what you have uh, with our listeners today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Right, take care. Really excited to have C. Lee Colley on today from a... Uh, just again, organization is, it feels a very nerdy thing, right? It's like, yeah, just organize your place and just go through. And I think when you go, especially as we age and how much it's important to do, and especially I think each stage that we go in through our life, we kind of accumulate different things um, that is necessary for maybe that particular stage. So we're always kind of adding and then maybe the purging is, is something we don't do as much. So again, kind of good to get to, uh, uh, certified professional organizer on the show and just have that conversation. So we got a few things we want to highlight in there for you is that um, Celie has a masterclass. And as she talked about, she's teaching uh, a lot now. So she's masterclasses typically every quarter. Yeah. Uh, so you can go to our website. We will link her website on our blog. She has a giveaway, a download that you can uh, download the 12 kind of steps there of uh, kind of organizing your space. So we'll have that available for you. And also, again, she has her signature course, the paper cleanse, um, too. So we will have that all linked for you. If you go to our website, blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 87 for episode 87. Right. Uh, and you can kind of find uh, a little bit more about C. Lee there. Our show, uh, again, those links um, and the transcript will be there as well. Really appreciate you tuning in today. It's been, it was a lot of fun, I think, from uh, the three of our perspective of getting her insights into things. Really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. 
While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.